I don't think we should see each other anymore. <laughs> this friendship, it's not working. Not working? What are you talking about? We're just not suited to be friends. Well, how can you say that? Look, you're a nice guy. It's just that we don't have anything in common. Wait, wait, wait what did I do? Tell me what, I want to know what I did. You, you didn't do anything. It's not you, it's me. <laughs> What's going on, everyone? This is the show. Oh, are you looking for me there? Because... I was looking for you there. Oh, well, in that case, see, see, and we're not going to change this. So I was just doing, I was just doing the intro, but like, you know, in, in, in like a meta sense. In a meta sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're four episodes in and we're already meta. Already. I mean, it's should... a show about nothing and it, it literally was nothing. Well, in that case, I guess we can just shut it down and go home then, right? Um... Isn't that what you do when you go meta? Uh, I don't know. You don't know. Well, that's okay. We won't shut this one down then. Please. Because we're just getting started, right? Well, I'm having a little. F- well, I'm having a little bit of fun. You're having a little bit of fun. Well, hopefully fun. this episode is a lot of fun, because I have one, two, three, four, five, and like a little couple lines on another page worth of notes. And right now I've got about a dozen tabs open, not including our digital outline that we both share. Wow. So, that's that's a lot. That's a lot more than me. I've got uh, one, two pages of notes, and only only one tab open. So you are, you're definitely overdoing it today, my guy. Well, I love this episode. Oh, uh, probably my favorite episode of the first season. Interesting. Uh, interesting. It's just it's it's just it's fun. I think every scene. Get some really good laughs. Uh, this episode sits weirdly chronologically. There's a whole lot going on with it. But yeah, real quick, I'm your host, Alex Lee. That's my boy, CJ Ward. I'm CJ, y'all. We almost forgot to introduce ourselves. That's well, how excited I am about this episode. If they have made it to this point, hopefully and surely, I don't mean to call you Shirley, they know our names by now. Well, etiquette dictates. Mm, you know, some you people. You are one about etiquette. I am one about etiquette, and they may decide to not listen to our show chronologically. For some people, this could be the second show that they listen to if they're following. What brings me to my first point, basically, is this is the first episode that they shot Mm, mm, mm. after the pilot. Wow, that's crazy. It it aired fourth chronologically, right before the season finale's The Stock Tip. Uh, The episode is titled Male Unbonding. It is the only episode in the series outside of the pilot which goes by good news bad news or the seinfeld chronicles and its original working title was stand up this is the only title without the word the in it i i have that in my notes is actually like the the very first thing i noticed about this show is that it, it does not have the word the at the very beginning and you know jerry jerry's infamously talked about not wanting the writers to be all tied up thinking of witty titles for the episodes because he felt that people, you know, were never going to look at something like that anyway, which I think is pretty funny that he would say something like that, you know, 20, uh, 20, 30 uh, some odd years ago, because I think today with as popular as television has become in the, in the age of streaming, 
people's favorite episodes. They can name the episode title of it. You know what so, I mean? Yeah, so that's my question. Is is like, um, was Seinfeld the, the first TV series to kind of have the same theme with, within the names of the episodes to go out, you know? Because later on, we know Friends does it. Uh, Friends... Friends has a theme of a way. A very serialized version. Yeah, the one with. That's what they try and, you know, that's their way Scrubs, of doing it. Scrubs does it. Uh, it's uh, Scrubs is always my first or my this, my that. And I didn't know if that all kind of came from Seinfeld doing the, which is simple and fantastic. Well, if it did... I can guarantee you that was not Jerry and Larry's intention of becoming a thing because it was simply a way to just like just pick a pick something simple. What's the what's the episode about that? It's it the content the contest. That's what the episode's about. That's going to be the title because I mean the junior uh, man. community think think of something like community which has all of these really weird. I mean Advanced Dungeons and Dragons is the name of it. So they've got all kinds of. Uh, their paintball episodes are, are notoriously wacky titles and to sit there and, you know, Oh, we got to think, you know, spend who knows how long Dan Harmon spent thinking of titles for some of his episodes. I'm sure some of them came to him immediately. And I bet there's, you know, uh, other ones that didn't, um, the office, I, I, I feel like is probably the episode, the, the television series that people can, you know, name the most episodes from just given its popularity. And a lot of its episodes, their titles, are very much like Seinfeld, very representative of the episodes that they are. Like this is going to be the base storyline of the episode that you're watching, which is great. So yeah, uh, it, it's a very smart thing to to, to kind of keep your fans talking. You know, like like you just stated when we're talking about the show, like oh, it, it it's a it's a quick reference point um, that you can always go back to, which I think is genius. Something I found funny watching the inside look for this episode on the DVD, I guess there was a staff writer or some kind of assistant. He gave an interview talking about Larry David basically forcing him to sneak a tape recorder into this table read, which would have been like the first table read of these characters together. So Larry David could prove to executives that, hey, these, this is funny. Like people are laughing at this just because you don't think it's funny. Like, it's there. Trust me. I, I found that to just be a very Larry... That That's that's the Larry David thing to do, right? So, I guess, uh, should we just jump right into this first episode? Yeah, yeah. Or this, uh, I'm sorry. The, the this first, first scene. Episode that they, the first scene of the first episode they ever shot <laughs> after um, the pilot. Yeah, I mean, I think especially because the... the really, the first scene of the episode does kind of take some time to... To get through, so yeah. Whenever you're ready, my good man, uh, I'm ready to dive in head first. Well, we get that first stand up. Ah, uh, men working on things. Men working on things. Funny. This is the same ugly. You may recognize this as the same ugly suit tie jacket combination that uh, shirt tie jacket combination that Jerry wore in his. Uh, second and third stand-up. Well, no, I don't last week. I don't know why I don't I don't have it noted here, but I think I read and correct me if I'm wrong. Did, did they film two different stand-up uh, locations for this episode? I don't have it in my notes for some reason, but I'm pretty sure I read they, that. They, they did. The notes about nothing uh, actually specify 
that these were filmed twice, and the first was in a brightly lit space with a piano, and it was stated that it looked like Jerry was performing in a church basement. <laughs> so they came back and reshot those, and the were the the second ones were actually shot March sixth, nineteen ninety. So about uh, less than a month after they aired, but still just a, a few, uh, I'm sorry, uh, less than a month after they filmed, but still a few months before they aired. So it wasn't like a big rush to to get it uh, sent in. Uh, but yeah, that's a good catch on that because they, yeah, that's why I guess they they refilmed these, I guess, while they had him doing other stuff. Uh, that I guess that would make sense that they were filming other, uh, other stuff that looked the same and probably just intercut a bunch of different jokes. And, and I mean, and, and this is a good joke. Um, I do, I do enjoy this joke. Mm -hmm. This is a joke that like, I think of Seinfeld a lot, especially because, especially like in my time growing up, I have definitely experienced this where, you know, you'll be working on something or you'll be around someone working on something. And it's just like, Oh, I, you know, what's he working on? I want to go look. I don't necessarily want to help, but you know, I don't mind being there for the process, though, either. When you're using a torque wrench there? <laughs> yeah, 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 that'll do it. Well, I, I, it's funny that you you went uh, nostalgic with it. I went more with the modern-day take. Like, what's some what's modern-day equivalent? Is it, like, watching your friend play a first-person game on Twitch and being like, Oh, you, you took the shortcut. That's a that's a good that's a good call right there. Yeah, you know? I think. Oh, you found that you found that little treasure. That's yeah, yep. I'm glad you saw that was a false wall. Good job, good job, buddy. Yeah, I think that could that could definitely be be taken as a version of it. Sure. As as somebody who watches his buddy stream first player games on Twitch, that was the first thing that came to mind. Um, www.twitch.com/slash/chilledandroasted. If anybody's interested in watching somebody just play PlayStation Two. Shameless self-promotion. Shameless. So towards the end of the stand-up, you'll notice a name that pops up, and I mentioned it in the last broadcast, Fred Barron. Uh, the more I deep-dive these episodes and the more I learn about you know, these guys' names and what they actually did for the show, uh, it's interesting because, like I said, Fred Barron, you won't see his name for the rest of uh, the series after uh, season one. But to see his name here, I was always like, ah, that guy, you won't be around for much longer, poor <laughs> bastard. <laughs> they just gave Larry David your job. So yeah, that's uh, that's the end of the stand-up, uh, that first stand-up, which like, I, I feel like it's like, cool, we're going to get like, you know, male, you know, buddy, buddy, buddy stuff in this episode. And we start right season one, George and Jerry hanging out in uh, the lobby of Jerry's apartment. Now, this is a place that we'll see a handful of times throughout the series, oh obviously... God. It's the only time we see it like this. Elevators don't get a lot of play in the in the show as a whole. We'll see some from time to time. There's never really usually a joke within it. It's usually just a means of like we got to get these characters from one point to another, and it's a good place to banter. Yeah, um, it, it's gonna add that like everyday situation kind of deal uh, onto it. Are, are we just gonna ignore like the the best thing already about this scene? Is it George and the fanny pack? It's the fucking fanny pack. Like, it, again, very first thing I wrote down, fanny pack. I love it. I want it. I'm happy he's rocking it. Well, I... I've got a, I've got a little bit of a theory on the, fa on, on the fanny pack. Okay, okay. Uh, on, on the fanny pack in general or in George's use of 
said fanny pack. In George's use of said fanny pack, because what we get is George and Jerry are in the in the lobby uh, discussing this issue. He, he, he told a girl he likes her, and he's upset about how things have progressed from there, and he thinks there's a specific incident that sort of has swayed her opinion of him. <laughs> and it's this piece of floss. They get Mint into the floss. elevator, and there's a piece of floss. And in the notes about nothing, they said in the original draft of this script, there's a whole banter about the flavors of floss. Uh, and Jerry's like, you got mint, cinnamon, and plain. I find cinnamon odd. And George's response is, I find plain odd. <laughs> but in this, uh, but in the show, George, one joke. of my favorite lines, one of my favorite lines from, I guess, this scene, because I have a lot of favorite lines this episode. I was buying her one of those containers of orange drink for like five dollars. Five five dollar orange drink. <laughs> First of all, orange drink could mean a lot of different things. And I love the. What does orange drink mean to you? I love the the like like the new well orange drink to me. I think of like uh, oh my god like 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 Sunny D or like. Uh, so you think more of like on the orange tang. juice side of things? Well, because well, it's not as. Uh, Tang and Sunny D aren't necessarily juice, but they're orange okay. drink. They're orange drink. Much See, like a yoo drink is like an orange soda. A yoo isn't a, a chocolate, not chocolate milk. milk. It's a chocolate drink. Okay. Okay. That's a good. That's a good. That's a good analogy. I like that. I like that. What orange, I do okay. love is the way he says orange. That that like. Orange drink, <laughs> orange. That, you know, he, I don't know. It just the way he says it makes me pop. And I think, I think Jason Alexander does a really good job here when he uses he he takes off the glasses coming out of the elevator, and and then he goes back to the glasses in a minute. I think that's really good work of kind of knowing the scene and knowing where you're going and kind of guiding the audience to this joke without them really knowing it. Uh, subliminally, that's the word I was looking for. So you, uh, you, you brought up Jason Alexander's work in this. I'll, I, I, I think this is a good spot because we really haven't talked about Jason Alexander, the actor. Oh, let's to 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 bring him up. And these are these are some notes I would really. So Jason Alexander was born uh, uh, Jason Scott Greenspan, and he changed his name to Jason Alexander when he was 15. Uh, he was born September 23rd, 1959 in Newark. Ah, fellow Virgo. Studied drama at Boston University. While there... How about them apples? Starred, he co-starred in a low-budget horror film, The Burning. Uh, his co-star in that was then-unknown Holly Hunter. Oh, wow. A very famous actress, so... Whoever whoever directed and produced that and has that in their library is like, yeah, yeah, I directed uh, Holly Hunter and uh, Jason Alexander when I was in college. His first uh, his first TV show. So did you know there was a show called ER starring George Clooney before there was a show called ER starring George Clooney? Wait, <clears throat> there was a show called ER starring George Clooney before the popular show called ER with George Clooney? Correct. I did not know that. Well, wait, wait. wasn't wasn't ER originally before George Clooney? Wasn't it like a soap opera? Like, wasn't it like a midday show almost? 
Or was it always prime time? It was a sitcom. Oh, I did not know that. <laughs> the one I am talking about that had Jason Alexander on it was a sitcom that aired uh, between 1984 and 1985. One season, 22 episodes. George Costanza played Harold Stickley, Hospital Administration. There's not a lot of YouTube footage of this uh, show. You can see the intro and then a, a collection of clips with George Clooney in them because it's like, hey, George Clooney. So that's what somebody decided. There is an interaction with Jason Alexander. I believe the specific video I saw was about a minute and 50 seconds into it. You almost see a little bit of uh, Costanza because he's kind of uptight and he has to react kind of because Clooney's character wears, like, I, I shit you not, Clooney's character is an EMT and he wears like a denim vest <laughs> and he flirts with a girl talking about how he's in a band and he's got like this feathered fair right, faucet hair. It's, it's, it's great. Elliot, uh, I also like that uh, Elliot Gould was also in that show, famous for being Ross's dad and the Oceans trilogy. Mm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's almost like, oh, I watched that and I was like, oh, I bet you that's where Clooney and Elliot probably first really met and got a liking to working with each other because their chemistry in Oceans was just so good. Also, fun little tidbit, Conchata Farrell played uh, George Clooney's aunt in this cause, comedy sitcom ER. She's famous for being Charlie Sheen's house uh, house cleaner, maid, whatever you want to call what she did on that show. From 51st Dates. I believe so, yes. Yes. Back to Jason Alexander. So we talked about way back in the beginning of this uh, podcast and series, Seinfeld, you know, shooting a pilot in 1989. Right before all this happened, Jason Alexander was starred as a narrator, uh, which supported a bunch of characters he he played one two three four five six seven characters in a broadway show called Holy jerome God. robbins called jerome robbins broadway and won the 1989 tony for best lead actor that's amazing and it, i mean yep. it, his his greatness clearly shows i mean just as he, he might feel at home because of that like live studio audience kind of feel to it on Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. But that that stage work definitely shows throughout the series and his his greatness in the stage work. I mean, he's fantastic in every scene he's in. I really tried to find some good like footage of of him performing, but it was really hard to work out. Like I, I'm just not familiar enough with uh, with these stage productions to pick him out specifically. But I did find his award speech from the award show in 1989, and he gives a really good, just heartfelt, just like from the heart. Like the once he gets through, you know, all the stuff, he gives a really nice thanks to his wife. And you're like, man, like that's that's the husband I aspire to be right there. But it was just very, very I mean, he's already starting to lose his hair, poor bastard. <laughs> it was a really good speech. I definitely recommend if you want to see like Jason Alexander, you know, in the in the late eighties, that's a great uh that's a great bit. It looks like in nineteen ninety four I'm looking at actually the YouTube page and it's got these uh re- referred videos and it looks like he does some singing at the nineteen ninety four Emmy. So if you want to check him out singing uh, do yeah. that. So, by the time these episodes aired, uh, specifically the one we're talking about today, you know he's he's fresh off a Tony Award, and they've got this, you know, a guy. I think that's some pretty that's some pretty awesome star power to drive people to kind of watch watch him do this really wild character. And yeah, that's just that's just you know a little bit about you know where George 
uh, Costanza, Jason Alexander comes from. He grew up. I mean, that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to act. He wanted to star in things and uh, has been working towards it his whole life. And he's achieved, I think, a high level of stardom as a as an actor. He's known for an iconic role in one of the greatest sitcoms of all time, one of the greatest television shows of all time, because this show is actually not considered a sitcom. Well, that I didn't know, but real quick on Jason Alexander, I, I do think that it was kind of a curse shortly after Seinfeld of him being typecast as a George Costanza type character. He's definitely um, talked about that. I I think that might be I I personally don't really like his role in the movie Shallow Hal all that much, um, and I felt like it's because he he almost tries too hard to deviate away from Costanza that it it, it feels forced. Yeah. And I don't feel like he delivers his his the best performance that Jason Alexander can give in that movie. I see your point on that. I. I... I'm not. It's been a while since I have seen that movie, and I and I know kind of what you're talking about. Like he's kind of a very forgettable character, but I mean, I grew up kind of like I said when we talk about us watching Seinfeld when we were younger. I just remember watching Dunstan checks in as a kid. Yep. <laughs> and I recognized Jason Alexander from Seinfeld, but I did not see, you know, the Costanza sort of character. I think I was young enough to kind of not be so you know, hyped in, zoned in on, like, this one guy, you know, is this guy forever, and this is how I see him. I think I was open-minded enough as a child to be like, oh, that's cool, I know, I recognize him, let's see how he hangs out with a monkey in a hotel. <laughs> and to this day, that is one of my favorite movies from my childhood, is wow, Dunstan Checks In. Like, that's that one of those that I can... hot minute. Dude, I, I watched it, I, I probably try and watch it every couple years. It's, it's I, I mean, I don't have too many, like, oh, I watch this every year, and I read this book every year. Uh, I can tell you, I probably watch episodes of Seinfeld every year, and I watch episodes of The Office every year. That's probably my most, cons- my most consistent uh, loyalty. Uh, it's always sunny. And it's always sunny. But that's, I mean, yeah, it's you know, it's been a while since I've given Sunny a rewatch. I should probably do that. Not okay, this podcast. So we not this podcast. So we've we we've done a really good job of giving some Jason Alexander love. Um, and this scene is still going on. <laughs> we barely. And this scene is this still scene. going on. Yeah. So, well, I just I felt like that was a good segue, just because you specifically brought up his uh, acting no, ability. No, it was fantastic. Yeah, I think it's well deserved. I got a lot of good notes about nothing from this episode. It really made me want to do a deep dive on Jason Alexander himself, because I, I I was unaware of some of some things. Like as I close my tabs on him, because we're finished talking, uh, he still has a love for Broadway, where he took a role in 2015 and, and did some Broadway work there. So he, he did some work before that and after that. So yeah, I'm, I'm done gushing about George Costanza. <laughs> so where are, are we? Are we point? in the hallway? I think where I brought him up from from glasses to glasses, I believe we're going into the apartment. Yes, because that's where Jerry makes the other great quote of, it looks like your belt is digesting a small animal. When he points out the fanny pack. So my theory mm, on the fanny pack. Ah, my yes. theory on the fanny, fanny pack, pack theory. So we learn George pulls a piece of floss out of his pocket and it's hanging there and he's embarrassed by it, which I don't think he should be unless it's used because it's your pocket. It's your pocket lint. You give it a quick wipe off. You floss your teeth. You're good to go. You throw it away in the bathroom. If it's used, that's a different story, but they don't establish that. I think so George doesn't have to carry 
the whole floss box, whatever you want to call it, in his pocket. He he carries around the fanny pack so he can put that in the fanny pack, and then he doesn't have to worry about sticking his hand in his pocket and accidentally pulling out floss. He knows exactly where his floss is. So you, you, you think he's wearing it because of the floss incident? Because of the floss incident. In he's like, how can I? To... How can I carry this floss around in my pockets without me accidentally pulling it out? I his first thought is, well, I'll just put the, you know, the whole thing in my pocket. But he's like, eh, I don't like the way that feels, and I wouldn't want to carry around floss in my pocket like that. That'd be weird. You know, I don't want to carry it in my back pocket and accidentally sit on it. Fanny pack. Fanny packs were all the rage in the nineties. I, I I can't disagree with that. So that's my that's my fanny pack theory. All right, well, better than mine. <laughs> so, did did you have a fanny pack theory? Uh, I just would figure that George thought it was cool. Uh, kind of the mm-hmm. uh the George and Tony theory that George just saw it, thought it was cool, and decided I'm gonna wear it. <laughs> no, he saw somebody wearing it and was like, "Hey, I could rock that." <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, Tony. Tony. So, did you notice Jerry's apartment number? No, but I did. I did read that it is going to change uh, from this apartment number. His uh, apartment number is shown to be four one one. In future episodes, it'll be seen as three A before finally settling on five A. Well, maybe the apartment's getting bought by different people. They're doing different things. That's how his apartment goes from a studio to a one bedroom. They're expanding. They're subtracting. I want to have added two floors to the building. Or maybe he just moves to a different floor with the same layout. Maybe. And he's so meticulous, he decorates it in the exact same way. Keeps having to move away from Newman. Newman keeps following him. <laughs> so Jerry enters his uh, his apartment, and Kramer is just chilling on his couch with his shoes off, which I think that was pretty polite of him. Uh, to it is. To put his shoes. Which also leads me to that Jerry probably had, had to ask him to do that. At some point. Like, hey, could you not? Put your shoes on my couch, bro. I I found that I found that pretty. Also, we this is the second episode that they shot, really trying to establish that Kramer is just the friend that's always there. He's got access to Jerry's apartment. While he's not taking anything out of the fridge this time, he did answer his phone for him. And when he hands the phone over to Jerry. Jerry's pretty annoyed. Yeah, he, well, I mean, he just doesn't tell him who, who's on the phone, which I don't understand. I mean, he's just like, yeah, yeah, and just hand the phone. I, I, I don't, I don't understand the rationale. Now, it is very, it's, it's a very Kramer-like mannerism that we get out of Michael Richards. There, that that face is very Kramer-esque. We're gonna see that kind of reaction many a times. But why he just doesn't Did- just tell him who's on the phone? I don't know. That that doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense either. It, it, it seems like Kramer Kramer should have. That way, you could have at least had an excuse. You know, starting to load. Did you happen to catch George's uh, facial expressions in the background? When no. When he so Jerry picks up the phone. It's Joel Hornick, his old friend that he really just does not like. You see, Jerry's very reluctant to like schedule a meeting with this guy and george is upset because he thinks he made plans for the uh next game the next game and the in the background he's making tea 
mm-hmm. and he his face he just like he's like ah like, come on man like we got plans like what are you doing like and yeah, I like that's... the whole mix up between this Thursday and next Thursday and all that if I would have said this Thursday I would have meant this Thursday did you catch Kramer's phone number I did but it's it's a fake number yeah five 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 always indicates a fake number it's a, but... It's a fake Hollywood number, so I didn't really put too much stock into it if it had any potential meaning or anything like that. I wasn't too. I know it. They went full. They went full. What is it? Five 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 eight six four three. Eight six four three. That's right. I I like when they're all standing in the kitchen, and we get the birth of Kramerica Industries. The, the first introduction to Kramerica Industries, which has a fantastic idea by the way what i loved was he pulled his phone out like he had his phone on him the whole time when joel hornet calls he doesn't say like oh i'm just been talking to Jason. let me call you back from my phone or like he just had his phone on him the whole time the whole time the whole time a nice early 90s cordless a very I, i see which my knowledge of phones back then that phone wouldn't had the range from its receiver even with that antenna up, he was he was in a whole other apartment. He was at least a good 30, 40 feet away from that receiver. He he likes to take his phone, though, in pretty weird places. We see it definitely later on. <laughs> he loves that phone. Uh, so you really love the, the make-your-own-pie. I, I would love to make my own pizza pie. I want to toss it. I want to put it in the oven. I want to put my own stuff on there. I think it's a fantastic idea. So the notes about nothing had some interesting odd jobs that Jerry performed during his college career while trying to get his stand-up career going. Would you like to hear these he, these uh, odd jobs? I would love Jerry to hear the odd Seinfeld. jobs. Selling light bulbs over the phone. Interesting. And selling jewelry and umbrellas on the street. Well, the umbrellas definitely comes back. It does come back. I found that. I was like, oh, I see where that joke comes from now. So that's that's an interesting point. Where did they use that here? It was just uh, it was just a con- it was a uh, reference kind okay. of based on Kramer coming up with silly wacky side hustles, wacky side hustles that he would embark on, and and just noted that Jerry had done some. Well, it's the it's it's the route to uh, the cure for cancer, right? Yeah, the cure for cancer joke that that they walk in on, which I I do have I did have I did have noted up here. I just now see it's big business. Uh, I did th- that is something Kramer would absolutely be be very wise to. George's uh, jealousy of this Joel Hornet guy really kind of, we we see those early seeds of George is very possessive of Jerry. It's, it cracks me up because the, 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 you see his reaction in the background when he thinks he's giving his ticket away and he's really interested. Like, What's so special about this Joel Hornet guy? Yeah, but I think that's also the, the selfishness of George going, I'm losing my Nick game ticket. That's, that's like court. That's like almost courtside. It's a, it's a great seat. It's a you know. I think that's also a little bit of selfishness for sure coming out. Jerry does mention, and this is the first of I wanted to note it because it's the first of many dictator Euro references that we see them uh, make throughout the series. He said, "I've been friends with Joseph Stalin. If he had a ping pong table, <laughs> they ping pong. I want to I want to start lo- like catching those sorts of little comments because." They do make comments like that quite a bit, like where they're just really, really obscure references. Like Ethel, like Ethel Merman is such an obscure pop culture reference. Yeah. We're about to get a, a Lenny Bruce reference, uh, as well as a Geraldo Rivera reference. 
the next stand-up, <clears throat> after George and uh, Jerry discuss breaking up with this Joel Hornet character by telling him the truth, and they give some pretty cringy faces when they think oh. about having to tell somebody the truth. It's not just a bit, it's just not a guy-guy thing. If, if we can skirt around the truth to make it as easy of a process as possible, we're going to do it. Exactly. Second stand-up, same god-awful outfit. The idea that, yeah, you can be friends with just about anybody if you've just got a, just a common interest. Like, what do we talk about? Women in sports. <laughs> yeah, this was an okay joke. It, it, it wasn't as good as the as the opening joke, but it, it's a good little transition joke. It's a sure. good segue. It's a nice kind of sort of the punchline. I mean, Jerry Jerry likes to call this show... I had mentioned earlier that it's not a sitcom in a bunch of different ways. Jerry likes to call it a a stand-up comedy, a stand-com. It's sort of just low concept, which I think we definitely see. It's just following this dude around and whatever he does, and, and it's I just him hanging out with his friends. Definitely, you know, more sitcoms are, are going to follow this this formula later on where we get more day-to-day life mundane um, details right more so than specific scenarios the other way the show is not a sitcom is i had mentioned the budget to get these four measly episodes the lowest order in television history they came out of the those bob hope shows i had mentioned they came out of bob hope variety hours so when variety published their list of pilots that had picked up executives were worried because they didn't list Seinfeld. They're like, well, what the fuck is going on? Well, the budget didn't come from your sitcom budget. It came from these variety hours. We can't call that a stand-up. You had this money set up for something else, and you made a dude <laughs> going to the bank and breaking up with men. Like, that's not a, <laughs> what do you want us to do with that? <laughs> so when I had alluded to it not being a sitcom, that's really what I was alluding to earlier, was because of the budget it came out of they couldn't call it a sitcom. See, these are all the notes about nothing that came from watching it on the DVD, which places male unbonding as the second episode. So I've got all these great rich notes that I didn't have about the start of this show that I didn't have before. And I was like, man, we're four episodes in when we watched this in the wrong <laughs> order. Uh, but it was fun to have that established history and, and of those three episodes already and being able to, to go back and be like, what were they thinking? Not thinking this show was going to be any good. Especially after the the love that we gave the the first two, for sure. Oh, yeah. And if they would have aired these in, in order, which when we get to the last scene with Elaine, I'll get into more of that, which I think we've already touched on. Uh, if they would have just aired, the, uh, aired these in the order that they wanted to order them in, I think you would have seen even more, you know, of a... Like, I think if they would have aired this one... The whole breaking up with a man, just that one scene with Julia. I don't think they needed you, – you'll see that I don't think they needed to air the stakeout first. So moving on to what would be the first interior shot at Monk. And uh, – Still no still no exterior shot. Did you – you're right. There is still no, no Tom's exterior spot. Um, I actually did not pay attention to that, and I I'm, I'm probably will now that you say it. But did you notice what they finally did in this one? They're in a booth. Ah, they're in a booth! 
They're in a booth. And you can just, but you, did you know and, and you can booth? just see it. It just aesthetically looks so much better than just that that weird in the middle of the restaurant spot. Well, they're not afraid of the weird in the middle of the spot. Too. No, no, and I but did you. I like when they go to like the diner bar at times, or they go to that booth in the back. But to have that, my favorite are the booths in the back behind behind the register. Those are my favorite. But those booths. work though because you've established because the the booth, and then you have your side spots. But the booth is always the centralized spot. We see the booths are open on both sides in, in in these early shots too. Ah, yeah, yeah. There's no there's no wall right there, which we will see uh, in later in later episodes. So. Joel, we meet Joel Hornick. Joel, Joel, good old Joel Hornick. I love this guy. Uh, um, played by Kevin Dunn, who, very famous actor. He's been, I mean, he's been in everything, dude. Uh, Blue Steel, Ghostbusters, he's Dad Transformers. Dad Transformers, hysterical. The the American Godzilla from 1998 with Matthew Broderick. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. That is awesome. We both, I mean, he, we both really love that movie. <laughs> We stand for that movie hard. And that's, I stand. I totally for forgot about the American that. That's Godzilla great. Hard. He Veep fans. He reunites with Julia for basically the entire run of that show. Yeah. he's a big part. And he's of hysterical. It. Uh, he's he is hysterical. He's worked with Zach Galifianakis and John Hamm on Keeping Up with the Joneses. Uh, he was on True Detective. Uh, Ken Ken Casada. Sure. Uh, I know you're a True Detective fan. I am, uh, I, but I don't. I don't remember uh, from season three or season two. Uh, I can't. I'm telling like he was in the was first one. Ace counters. Ace and Claire. Ace pitches a deal. Ace forces Escalante. That might be this 2012. That might be the second season. Um, that sounds first season. Prison Break. I mean. This dude has just been everywhere, and he's done everything, and he's a fantastic actor, and I just love him in this scene because he's such a turd, and he's such a slime ball. Oh my gosh, and he, he is. plays it. Hey, just so to, no, sorry, go ahead. Did you had the. Floor I was there. just gonna. I I was done. I was just. I was done gushing about how much I like hated him in this scene. Oh no, <laughs> he does a really good job. But he, I mean, he kind of has. It's it's that that fast talk, that that wit kind of style to him that. Uh, gift of the gab kind of style. Um, he he does a real good job. Really getting at the wages about the turkey. Is it turkey roll? Do you have real turkey in the bed? I mean, that's a really good <laughs> asshole bit. Got a real turkey in the back. I love Jer- I love Jerry's comments. Uh, underneath, you know, he's like this. Uh, he tells George, "I just make things up." And true to exactly what he said, I make things. He makes things up. He said, "I think I'm going to Iran this summer." The the Hezbollah invited me. Like what? Right. I During think the I, whole I think go, uh, first crisis with the Middle East. Yeah, that was. I mean, that was nineties. That was height of uh, those Iran Contra, and you got gas crises, and you've got you know Berlin Wall's falling. There's a lot of, you know, there's there there's another one. You know, there's another. I don't even have that marked on my online deal, but that's another. You know, uh, Iran and the Hezbollah. They, they love making these, like. They're they're not obscure enough to be you know really just throwaways, but they're really just kind of random, and it's like really you just decided to go there. Uh, but I think it's sort of natural how people would talk. I I make kind of political references all the time offhandedly like that, 
whether it be international or locally, you know, there's always a, well, you know, better, better, they run better than my local government or, you know, stuff like that. Uh, I think it is kind of on brand to like people do make sort of political comments, just sarcastic ways like that at times. And I think that's a perfect opportunity to do that. And this might, this might be wrong of me because I, I think I've, I've asked this now twice about two <laughs> different uh, waitresses and I, in this day and age, it might be wrong of me to think that all waitresses look alike. Um, but is this the same waitress who just got the apartment? Because it kind of yes, okay. Because it because it does resemblance her a lot. If it's not, which probably my biggest issue with this episode isn't necessarily Joel's beratement of her, berating of her. I'm annoyed because if this. Because if you watch it in original order, it looks like she gets berated, and then shortly after, she goes and gets a new apartment. Oh, that's good. And now it looks like she gets a new apartment. And then just gets torn to pieces. And now Jerry's all upset by it, so he brings his douchebag friend, and now he's berating her over fucking turkey roll. And it's it's that's no fault. I mean, obviously, it's not the intention. This is me being overly analytical about a show I love. But in my mind, I see this and I go, oh, that's no way to treat, you know, somebody that like, you know, you're supposed to be. And obviously, Jerry does not like Joel and he's very upset about the way he's treating Carolyn, the waitress. But this is uh, one of Carolyn's final appearances, I believe. I don't know if we ever see her again. That's just uh, the, the, the my thoughts on Carolyn the waitress was I did not like the way this was ordered because it does not I don't like the that's kind of the last time we see her is on this low note when really the last time we should see her is more on a high note. Yeah, that's fair. I I do love the Hornick breakdown. You know, you're one of my best friends. I tell everybody to go see his shows. It's one of my favorite lines, and again, my probably my favorite line from this scene because I said I love the the lines in this episode. But to go see his show, the way he shouts it out to the restaurant, causing a scene, obviously embarrassing Jerry. Uh, one of my top, probably my one of my top moments in the show, if I have to put it up there. It just uh, go see his shows, and Jerry's like, I've never been to your apartment. <laughs> that was probably best his best friend. delivered line for me in the scene was when he's like, I've never, because that's a great line right there, because it's like. Not something you would think of when somebody says I'm your best right. friend, but you're like, yeah, I've never been, I, I, I don't know where you live. Like, why would you call me your best friend? Like, I feel like we're not quite there yet. Call me a good friend and maybe we'll get to you. But the Hornets breakdown, uh, just a top tier for me. Loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Ends with uh, getting a ticket to a Knicks game out of it. Uh, when we move on, it's Jerry and George at no, the bank. No stand-up cutaway, right, right to the bank, and and George's sweater is back. You noticed it, okay? You did notice it. His his amazing his amazing sweater is back. He's carrying another amazing prop. Oh, a jar full of pennies. Huge thing of pennies, which I've I've had this problem, and I've I've had this frustration before. So I went to a bank at one point in my life that had almost like a coin star kind of deal. And I thought that was perfect, right? So I go to another well, – later on I changed banks. I take a bag of coins in to uh, this particular branch. And I really wanted it changed into 
dollars. They're like, oh, no, you got to bag it yourself. And I was like, why? That's not my job. I'm not... <laughs> I'm not the money person. This is what you do. You know, my whole life, my parents have been saying, oh, you have all this change. Go cash it in that, at the bank. Here I am trying to cash it at the bank and you tell me I have to go do it myself. No, I'll just pay for it in coins. This is the uh, perfect opportunity for me to promote credit unions because <laughs> I remember banking with a credit union and I used to bring in a big old glass uh, pitcher of change, usually worth anywhere from forty to ninety dollars, depending on how full it was and the quarter content. And they would just take it to the back to a machine, dump it, and they would deposit that cash right into my account. I never, so, uh, I don't understand why, especially with the Coinstar technology. It's not like it's that advanced. Why banks can't just have a little change machine and then, like, real quickly, you go change it out and you go give them a, a voucher and then, uh, there's your cash. I'm, I'm jumping ahead to the end of that scene a little bit just because since we're talking about the this whole uh, situation with the coins, the cashier's facial expressions are hands down the greatest reaction you could ask for in this scene. Oh, see, now I the, way she, watch. the way she looks so offended when he's like, like, can you change this for me? She's like, ah. No. Just <laughs> How the, dare you? I think her delivery of her first line is so flat and robotic. The rest of her lines are delivered really, really on point. I think that first line delivery, she really like missed an opportunity to have a really good response. But her facial expression saved it because she looks just like personally offended by the idea that he would just ask her to change this in. Um, and she does sort of break at the very end of the scene at the last thing George says, she does sort of break a little bit. I did find it funny that George was complaining about picking up a check while holding a jar of pennies. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's, that's a little irony. That's uh, funny. Just the, the, the penny pincher in George, it just, it, it never fails to amuse nice me pun. in the little ways that they, in the little ways that they go. But it's it's that that whole scene is really funny. Uh, Jerry's kind of a dick because he does wait an entire. Because I don't know if you noticed this in the timeline if you picked it up. Because when they talk about the Knicks game, they talk about it being tonight. So a whole week has passed between the Joel Hornick lunch and now this scene. And Jerry had a and whole then, week to tell George about it, and he forgot. <laughs> that, that that sounds about right. I would do the same thing. Like, oh yeah, man, I'm I'm sorry. I kind of forgot. Uh, it just that 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 always cracked me up because that is a real life situation. Pens aren't working. The fucking bank won't change my fucking. You want me to roll six thousand of these? Like just all of that. All of that is something I have either experienced or would absolutely believe is a real life situation. Yes. Uh, moving into that, we get this the uh, the third stand up, uh, same outfit, and Jerry talking about. Being at the bank, because that's where we just were. So, you know, if we're following this guy throughout his life, he was just at the bank. So, he, of course, he goes and writes a, you know, a joke about being at the bank and really should give us a piece of cheese at the end of that maze there. I don't I don't have a whole lot on this joke either. I, I found this one also just kind of meh. Um, my only major note I have on this stand-up scene is... The, the B-roll of the audience is pretty terrible. 
it, it's some bad B-roll audience laughter in there. It's 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 not good. Not good to the point where it is super comical. I I did and I, was funnier to me than the joke. I did write down uh, laughing ladies. Oh yes, yeah, that's exactly what I'm referring to. Uh, you could also say this joke is kind of dated because who goes to the bank anymore? You either go through the drive-through, deposit the ATM, or mobile bank. Like, there's really no reason to go into the bank. Like, even if like you're cashing those like coins, like either your banks, I think these days are gonna do the Coinstar, or you'll just go to Coinstar. I really like the only time I can remember actually rolling coins was when I worked at a movie theater. I go to the coin star, and I would have to count coins for our safe, and that wasn't, you know, that was it was just required for the job. It wasn't anything I was doing personally. Um, I consider the tax on Coinstar the service fee for it doing the counting for me. Yeah, it's, I yeah, just I just say that's fine. It's the convenience here. So we'll, I mean, a lot of the jokes, a lot of things we see are dated, and I just think it's fun to point them out sometimes. It's like, who really just goes to the bank anymore? <laughs> so we're back at the apartment, Jerry and George. George uh, counting the change. George counting the change, just iconic. Uh, he is absolutely 100% doing it wrong. Uh, who is going to put coins in a roll like that? I've it's never madness. actually have have done it. It's madness. So I noticed though he had his he, he had one finger down below to block. Yeah, that's that's and then that's he not what he's doing in. wrong. Are are you saying counting it one by one? You is madness instead of just filling it all up and going okay I know one full roll is a dollar or was it ten? The, How much is a roll of pennies? Here's a here's the thing with those rolls. There's no markings on it to tell you start here, end here. You do have to count them out if you want them to be accurate. So there's a couple ways to do it. You you could know the weight. George isn't gonna okay. take the time to weigh out you know these pennies and, and yeah do I wouldn't it like do that, that either. I don't have a scale. But what he's willing to do is he's willing to count them. Count them beforehand, dude. It's fifty. It's uh, to your point though. It is fifty pennies. Uh, they're 50 cent rolls. So okay. count 50 out. Count out 25. And then just put them in your hand and then go. Don't count as you're going in. That's, of course, how you're going to lose track. And it's going to take you forever. Yeah. I mean, it's going to take you forever. You're going to have to count them anyway as they're going in. Might as well count them before. Know how much you have. I don't know why I noted it here. And, there's even uh, and not <laughs> previously. <laughs> um, but for some reason, I have noted here in all caps, uh, oh, we have our electronics back. Because this episode was filmed before the robbery. Ah. The circles. idea is, or the explanation is, oh, well, he's got good insurance. I call shenanigans bullshit because remember that toy Porsche? I had mentioned about them stealing. Mm-hmm. Is it in the... Is it's, it in... It's in the background, sitting in between the door, the front door in the hallway uh, of the bathroom, sitting on that uh, particle board-looking shelf. There's a little grayish, blue, uh, uh, gray-bluish Porsche, little racing decals on it, and that's the same one 
from the stakeout, or, or I'm sorry, the robbery that I noted in the robbery before it was stolen, because you steal all of his electronics and his toy car. Why are you stealing the toy car? And then leaving the expensive <laughs> mitt behind. Uh, but you're right, he does have all of his electronics, all of his stuff is back, his cactus is still there. Um, all, all of that, all of that is there. Do you think, do you think Jerry's being cheap again by only offering $50 for the jar of pennies? There's got to be more than $50 in that jar. Uh, yeah, but I mean, that's, that's like the, the game show aspect of it, right? I mean, that's, that's the risk. Like, yeah, I'll give you 50 bucks for it just for, you know. Just to get it off my hands. Yeah. But I'm taking the gamble that there's more than 50 bucks in there for sure. I mean, George quickly dismisses him uh, because he's he's just upset about his uh, ticket being given away. He tries to get George to lie, or uh, George tries to get Jerry to lie, saying you don't if just tell him you lost the tickets. Like I fuck this guy. I don't know. Can't believe you gave. Just tell him you lost them. Like fuck off. Uh, because Jerry does not want to go to the game at all now since George can't go. So now Joel's getting two free tickets to a Knicks game behind the bench. This is when Kramer interrupts again. We get entrance. This is an actual entrance this time. Is this six or seven? This is six. Okay, so the one before of, of, of him just coming in. Okay, but okay. He so was already in the question. apartment. He, he was already in the apartment. He, he was, was already there. in the apartment for the previous scene, for sure. In this scene, though, do you, do we get two entrances or just one? Just Doesn't one. he go out and then come back in halfway? So this scene, we get the classic... Kramer kind of hand in the door as he shuts mm-hmm. it. You know, he does that a couple times. We'll throw like a like a little bye bye or you know poke his head in at the last second. There's one where he'll like I believe there's a really famous one where he kind of like slowly eases his way out, and it's really really funny and dramatic. But this is the first time we'll really see he's like closing the door and like right before he closes, he throws his little all right buddy in there. So we're getting really early just like iconic Kramer moments. But he does come in, he comes in, he's talking about the pizza pie again. Jerry does end up calling Joel and just, just straight up just gives him the two tickets because he's just that defeated of a human. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of the end of that scene. And we end up in the last scene of the night. Uh, it's a big scene because technically it's the first appearance of Julie Louis-Dreyfus as Elaine Bennis. So before we get into this scene, unlike we did with the George scene, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about the wonderful and the beautiful JLD. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. Really, my notes are really kind of just focused on her getting this character and this part. Elaine auditions started on January 15th, 1990. And so you think about that, this episode, they did the first table read, you know, less than a month later. People that auditioned, Rosie O'Donnell, Megan Lalali, Patricia Heaton, what was that, uh, Wendy Malick. Uh, you may not recognize Patricia Heaton's voice. She is the mom from Raymond. Oh. Yeah. And then, uh, you know Megan Mullally, wife of, course. of Nick Offerman, the uh, other half of Jack and Karen. Yeah. Helen uh, Hunt. Proud, proud Oklahoman, by the way. Very nice. I did not know that. Helen Hunt was asked to audition, but she uh, actually declined, turned it down. Wow. Mark Hirschfield, the casting director, had always wanted Julia. Uh, She was actually on, he had seen her on SNL. 
which led me down the SNL rabbit hole, uh, which not too many stand-ups of her. Uh, she kind of, like the stand-ups I did see, they really did kind of pigeonhole her into the very sort of just not really... Her character was more of like a prop in the butt of the jokes, and she she really didn't have much to work with. If you watch her scenes, she you're like, man, she's really just not that great, but that's not really her fault. Like, I'm not saying her... Her acting was bad. She, her, the material she was given was not material for her. And there's even some interviews online where she does not speak fondly of her time at SNL uh, in the mid-80s, uh, speaking mainly about some sexism, uh, which a woman in comedy in the 80s, that's you know not a, uh, an unheard-of accusation uh, that's you know wildly unbelievable. It's definitely something that's probably did happen and women have probably still you know deal with it to this day to this day but Hirschfield also liked her on a short-lived tv show called day by day now i think i've heard of it but i'm not again not a lot of video out there of it but there is, uh, you can get the intro, and there is one episode that I didn't watch the whole, uh, the whole thing, uh, because it was just a Brady Bunch episode. It was more of like a Brady Bunch kind of like reunion episode that took place on this show, mm-hmm. which I thought was pretty funny. Show only lasted for thirty three episodes. Um, it was about like I think I think it was like a Brady Bunch style where it was a, a the IMDB description is a married couple gives up their high powered careers to run a daycare center in their home so yeah and I think Julius Dreyfus plays one of the teachers uh, there's a little I think there was a few more highlights of the show online uh, created the show uh, one Andy Borowitz uh, known for the Borowitz report which I believe is like a satirical column uh, satirical like political column but he is a huge like he's his imdb and wikipedia page is huge i'm not gonna get too much into into that but uh mark hirschfield loved julia lewis dreyfus uh she had an exclusive deal with wb that expired february 1st and on february 2nd sent her a script and after an informal meeting was offered the part now think about that she was offered the role after getting the script on february 2nd five days later she's at the table read Wow, that's just that's bonkers to me. Yeah, that's 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 a quick turnaround. So there was actually uh, one last little bit. The one really funny super uh, skit, the uh, one really funny skit on SNL that I did see her do was a really funny Superman skit with Christopher Reeve, obviously before his accident. But it's Jim Belushi as the director. And JLD is the assistant, and she's got this real thick, I think, New York accent that she's putting on. And it's three guys up for the role of Superman. And it's, you got to do all these stunts that Superman can do. Like, you actually have to catch a bullet in your teeth, and you actually have to light this telephone on fire. And Christopher Reeve keeps fucking it up. Like, the bullet keeps deflecting off of his teeth and he lights the curtains on fire instead of the phone. And this other guy, I think he's a magician. Uh, cause he was doing all these like sleight of hand things, uh, to 
accurately do what he's was told to do and then there's another guy who ends up like getting killed uh which is in a pretty hysterical way uh, but that bit was actually really funny so if you're looking for good julie uh julie lewis Rifus, uh snl bit from her time there i definitely recommend looking up the superman one which also stuck out to me because jerry seinfeld being a huge fan of superman for sure just the you know, if you look at anything too deep, you can find threads between things that really don't matter. But if you, you know, think of things in that way of, well, that's what all connects us. We we're all meant to do these things together. It's those little things that like when you look up somebody's history and you find these funny little connections that it's like, oh, well, yeah, I'm sure at, I'm sure in the mid 80s, Jerry Seinfeld heard about a funny SNL uh, stand. Hey, you like Superman? Or maybe he was watching SNL that night because he liked Christopher Reeve as Superman and saw Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and here they are five years later uh, cracking peanuts, uh, cracking M&Ms with with Jerry Seinfeld. I... I like this scene. I I like her in this scene. scene. She's, She's amazing. She's... She's ballsy. She's Jerry Seinfeld. How dare you? This is infantile. When I like, uh, great I like, dressing of him down. I like when she starts grabbing the list and she starts making up her her own reasons. I ran um, out of underwear. <laughs> I I I find it better to come up with other people's excuses rather than coming up with my own. So I definitely resonate with her. In this yeah, scene where at first she's like, oh yeah, I rattle off this, rattle off that. But then later on when it comes time to actually bring up some excuses, she's just as dear in the headlights as Jerry is. Oh shit, we've got to get to the hospital see for those organ donors. <laughs> right. So there's even a story behind this whole peanut uh, Eminem peanut gag. So they're talking about where they want to go. Uh, I'll go if I don't have to talk. Which, by the way, I noted that this scene clearly takes place in the evening, like late evening, because Kramer's going to come in later after having gone to the game. Even if that game started at 6.37 Eastern time, it's still after 10 o'clock. Because basketball game's about two yeah. and a half hours. And you got to give another 30, 45 minutes to get home. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I probably should have, you know, Google mapped where, you know, West 81st Street is in relation to Madison Square Garden. But there's no way that Kramer is coming over any time before 10, 30. So they're talking about going and hanging out pretty late. So I just found that pretty interesting. But the story behind the Eminem peanut gag is, is the first scene Jerry and Julia did. Uh, together and while they were waiting for one of the cameras to reload film she was telling Jerry that I can you know crack open uh, peanut M&M without disturbing the nut which she did and it cracks Jerry up and you can almost see that genuine laughter from her doing it in the scene because that's what she's doing the way she's biting that M&M that's what she's doing she's doing the bit and when she walks away to go pick up the list Jerry's laughter in the background, that's him being like, yeah, I can't believe she just did that. Like, <laughs> in the scene. Like, he's just that's like, a good piece yeah. Of trivia. I didn't know she's that. She's amazing. His his actual quote is, that's what makes Julia so great. She cracks you up without breaking your nuts. That's funny. Yeah. That's really I good. I thought so. 
so yeah, she goes and checks the list. They, they're, uh, she actually is, uh, she uses her phone. She's using the phone to check the machine, finds the excuses list. Uh, Kramer comes Elaine immediately says hello to Elaine, you know, immediately establishing. Yep. She's a character that these guys, that these people know. Uh, Kramer is obviously very aware of who she is. Actually, I liked, uh, Jerry and Elaine's conversation about making men cry. Which we we get a little bit of how kind of like oh maybe Elaine's not men don't deal uh, I I don't I don't really think that Elaine comes off looking too good kicking a guy in a crotch just to get a cab uh, I think that's sort of she, she got the cab yeah she got the cab but that's so just I know yeah so I think again like it's just that establishing of like oh it's a funny joke but if you think about it in the in the scheme of things like that's on brand for who we would kind of know these sort of not the greatest people in the world type characters. Uh, they're not above kicking somebody in the nuts to get a cab. Kramer comes in, entrance number seven, grabs a bottle of ketchup. So he's always doing these. He's we're four episodes in and he's taken something out of the fridge like three times. Uh, clearly a bum. Uh, but he's getting ready for meatloaf. Would you eat Kramer's meatloaf? Yes. I would too. Uh, Unless it was made in the shower, but I'll, I'll but that would you yet. know if it was made in the shower unless you either asked or he offered up that information? You just wouldn't know unless it was spoken. Like I feel like you would have to ask. Yeah, it might not. You didn't be make the, this in the shower. It might not be you? the best, but I don't know. It, it might be all right. So after uh, Kramer comes in, he tells Jerry that they were at the game, and Jerry's like, "What the hell?" Uh, how do you know Hornick? And that's we get the reference today. Remember when I picked phone, up the phone yeah. randomly when I was hanging out in your apartment? I gave him that uh, fictional phone number. Well, that was actually my number, and uh, he took me to the game. Yeah, and then he he promptly hits on Elaine, saying, "Well, that, Joel, yeah." So so Joel well, comes yeah, in. Sorry, pronouns, pal. Well, so Joel comes in. Well, it's 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 important because, like I said, all leads up to the way these episodes are shown. And the way they aired out of order is Joel, when introduced to Elaine Bennis, says, whoa, 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 the Elaine yeah. Bennis? I thought you two guys weren't dating anymore. And then it's like, ding, 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 ding. You know, this is the establishment oh, again. this isn't just a friend. This is an establishment of a relationship, which if you watch it as the fourth episode, it's just that reaffirmment of it. But if you were to watch this episode the way it airs on the Seinfeld uh, Chronicles DVDs and how it would have aired in real life, this would have been – this is her one scene. And she's notoriously said, you know, I really didn't like – I mean, she goes, she saw, I thought it was funny, but I didn't like it because I was only in one scene. Like, why would I like the, a show where I'm only in one scene? Like, I want to be I want to be on screen more. Uh, which I think is just her being funny, but it's true. This is her one scene, and if aired properly, it's the one in, the first introduction we get of you guys are our friends. And then we would have gotten the stakeout, which really does flesh that out even more. But executives were like, no, you got to air that first. So they were like, okay, I guess we'll just move this one back a couple episodes because it doesn't really fit right before the robbery. So, okay. But that's what that's I, I found that I found that interesting. Yeah. Did you happen to catch the list of games that Hornick spat it off? 
Of course I wrote them down because I tried to look them up to see if they were real Me games. Too, and it's a I, I want to figure out what schedule. game they went to and what the score was. I did. I tried to figure out what game they went and to. I couldn't find it. I tried the 89 season, the 90 season. I couldn't the, find they it. They were – well, because I, I tried to get the date. So what was it? Was, it was Seattle, then the Mavs. Yeah, it was – Then was it the Mavs the, again, then Lakers, then Jordan? Well, the first game he asked to them for was Tuesday. He asked to go – but he didn't say who that was against. And then he says, well, let's just take a look. Thursday's in Seattle. Saturday's against the Mavs. Tuesday, again, is against L.A. And then who doesn't on like the road, magic? on the road, on the road. Yeah, who doesn't like magic? And then back on the 14th versus Chicago. Can't miss, can't Air, miss Air Jordan. Can't miss Air Jordan. Which this is coming off like like Jordan had just really established himself as like a genuine superstar. Well, this was what? It, it was 90? This was it, championship this was 1990. one, right? This is right for championship one going for championship two? This would have been the 89-90 season, so this would have been number one. Worst. This would have been the right, but it hadn't happened yet. Right. So this was this wasn't just like rookie of the year. This was I'm a I'm established superstar Jordan. Well, yeah, I mean he he's six years into into the league at this point. But I looked for a game on the 14th. Obviously, I'm sure you did too against Chicago. That didn't exist. There were no Tuesday games against LA mm-hmm. or Saturday games against Dallas or Thursday games against Seattle. So they made it all up, and I was really disappointed because I, like you, was like, what was the box score? <laughs> but, yeah, so Joel, Joel's a, a pretty big creep in this, uh, in this uh, episode. Did you watch this episode on the DVD? No. So you didn't see the deleted scene? No. So the deleted scene for this scene is an alternate ending. So after being creeped out by Joel – Elaine actually exits the apartment. She goes to see what's going on with Kramer uh, and the meatloaf, I believe. And Jerry actually just tells Joel, I've had it with you, man. You got to get the hell out of my life. I can't. I'm done with you. And Joel's like, I don't understand. Like, And Jerry kind of really like lays into him, uh, kind of like what you were maybe would be hoping for in that first encounter. And then on his way out, Joel's like, so... I'll see you next week and drop off that tape I borrowed for you. <laughs> we get no conversation about basketball games. We get no made-up excuses. I like that ending, though, rather than the ending we got. Because my only problem with the ending we got is I don't feel like there was any conclusion to the episode. And that True. really bugged me. That, that I, yeah, I agree. I feel like there was a way to sort of maybe mesh the two together. It feels like the deleted scene was the first way they did it, and then they came back because there's a, the delivery of lines is a little different, and it feels like they kind of had a better idea of how they wanted this scene to go because the deleted scene doesn't have Elaine coming up with ideas off the top of her head. Um, like, there's no telling off of, of Joel. I do like when Joel's going through the list of those games – Jerry and Elaine are making that eye contact of like, I told you. Mm-hmm. And Elaine's like, oh my god, they're having that like, this is the type of thing friends do. Like they have those nonverbal facial expressions because you know exactly what they mean. Yeah, by I didn't the way catch they look. that. And it's, 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 uh, it's really funny. And for their first scene together, their first episode together, there's just a lot of just immediate chemistry between those two characters and. It was really, you know, one of those early – from early on, they're already in sync, you know, on screen, and it's fun to see how they develop. Yeah, no, I, I think it's great. 
you should. I know you've got the DVDs. Pop the pop the DVD in and watch that deleted scene. If if you're really if you're really uncomfortable with not having a conclusion, watch the deleted scene and you'll be like, I feel better. Because it is. He tells Joel off, and, and even though Joel says he's going to come back, you at least feel like Jerry. Jerry doesn't have to answer the phone. Jerry's chalking that Katie Lang up tape to just, I'm over it. I'll change my phone number. I will put all my, I'll change my address to a P.O. box. Like, this guy, I'll never, I'll never see this guy again. So, the final stand-up, talking about people who are just always your friends. There's always going to be your friends. The notes really I have about this stand-up have nothing to do with the stand-up other than what we already discussed. It was filmed on March 6th. Uh, all of my stand-up, all of my notes are about the music in this uh, in this this particular scene because, again, being the second episode that airs on the DVD and the way it was intended to be watched, all the information that I got from the notes about nothing were about early, early aspects of the show. So Jonathan Wolf, which we did... I believe we did talk about him in that first episode when we discussed the music and how awful it was. Jonathan Wolf is a composer that composed the iconic, you know, he used organic sounds. He used finger snaps, mouth pops, lip smacks for, so like when that's like, like that, like you make that with your mouth, that's him doing that. And those little clicks and everything, that's him. That's him making those noises. And I think, there's no better flex in like having something iconic like that. And you're like, yeah, I did that with my face. Like no instruments. Well, I mean, obviously there are instruments because he himself has said he watched Jerry's 1988 HBO special uh, to time music with Jerry's sort of tempo because while watching it, he noticed that, wow, Jerry speaks at this, like his, he's got kind of a rhythm to the way he does things. Yeah. Cadence. And Wolf was able to work with that and the bass he used to support Jerry's voice. So that timing of the bass, it's it's always timed for that specific purpose. Like there's the reason why he, he puts that you're almost like, wow, he put that right at the punchline. That was or right before it, you know, that's he does he did that on purpose because of the way Jerry he noticed Jerry talked, uh, and told his jokes. And you know that's how we got it. We got it's it's a dude making noises with his mouth and a bass line, <laughs> and some that's girls funny. going, "Hey," <laughs> which I love. I think that's just the best. All right. So what's uh what's your overall conclusion of the, of the episode? You you love it. You I feel uh, like I feel like this is uh, an hour and a half of me talking. I mean, because I did love this episode you, so much. Like I said, you you obviously did your research for it. I came in. So what, you're doing, what? Five cups? Jesus, we are so fucking. We're gonna five cup this one. My cuppa on this one, I gave this one a four point four. Ooh, I, that that is high. It is, but I think this, I I I, like I said, ratings are arbitrary, and you can give them whatever the fuck you want. My explanation is, this is sort of my benchmark of what I'm going like. When I start getting into my top tier episodes, we're getting into the 4.5s and the 4.6s and the 5s and all that, where I want to rank them. But this is sort of like my early benchmark of where I want to like it. Because, I mean, I love this episode, man. Every every scene had just iconic lines and great facial expressions and just goofy shit that I just love about this show. It's a show about nothing. This entire episode is Jerry whining like a little bitch about having to see this dude that he doesn't like. And he's not really kind of man enough at this point to be like, dude, get the fuck out of my life. I don't want to be friends with you. That's a hard thing to do. Like, I've had to do that to people. Like, 
Oh, yeah. And there's some people you can't even have that face-to-face conversation with. You just do escalating, douchier things to each other until you're finally like, fuck you and your TVs and your HDMI ports and all kinds of other shit that you could do to each other. And you just say, fuck it. I'm, I'm over it. Uh, it truly is the episode about nothing. And just, yeah, everything. Birth of Kramerica, how can you not love the... This, this sets up so many future plot points and jokes and just things in the show that are just iconic well i see i see your love for it um and to kind of uh probably explain the uh, to explain the dynamic of why it does feel like it's been an hour and a half of you talking and you loving this episode so much and you give it such a high rating and me just kind of being eh because i do i give it like a three and a half um, it's good. It's still solid. It's still it's a, better, better and above average. It's like a B minus. It's a it's a good episode. It has some. It definitely has some some good acting uh, within it. Um, I I I think it's it's got some, the, the scenes are definitely a lot funnier than the stand ups, um, as it's supposed to be. But that lack of conclusion, that lack of of an ending, that just kind of felt. I don't know. It really bugged me. Um, I like the wraparound of the Kramer story from beginning to end. Um, It was good. It just kind of... Eh. I know we can do better. You know we can do better. Now, I I thought long and hard about potentially putting this on... One of your lists? On one of my lists. Uh, There's just... There's not a good buddy team-up aspect to it. I definitely wouldn't put it on the random episodes... Uh, to show I don't think this episode focus, I mean the episode focuses on Jerry I wouldn't call it a best Jerry episode I definitely contemplated with my top 10 all time definitely kind of like I was watching it and I think maybe if I gave it like that third rewatch that I said I was going to give it that I never gave it I might have put it on there uh, but I chose not to it's not on any 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 list I, I again I don't think any episode on the first season will end up on any lists uh, second season they're coming, but not this episode. Nah, well, I mean, and then if it doesn't reach any of yours, it's definitely not going to reach any of mine. Nah, it's not well. I mean, I do have a bottoms list, but that's not on there just yet. <laughs> no, no, it's not a bottom list one either. Well, I am going to end it here before I see any more numbers on my recording go up minute by minute because this is I'm the guy who's got to edit this and you're like oh man this is making me sad so uh, I'm Alex Lee I'm CJ and uh, this is the show the Seinfeld podcast y'all take care see you next time see ya